I want to start this morning by opening to John chapter 10, verse 10, as we dive into God's word this morning. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth and do what you send it to do. God, your word is alive, it's active, it's sharp, it pierces into the inner parts of who we are, it discerns things, and Lord, I pray that it would go forth this morning and stir hearts. Lord, I pray today that people would leave here changed by your word in whatever little way you want to do. Lord, I pray that you would be changing lives today by the power of your word as it goes forth in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said these words, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The NIV says, life to the full. Were you full on Thursday? Let me ask you a question. Why did you come to church today? Just in the back of your mind, answer that question. Why did you, on your day off, a weekend in Montana, drag your turkey-filled body out of bed and come to church today. Why did you come here? I'm glad you're here, by the way. I don't want to run you out of here. Why are you here? Why did you come? Maybe you're coming to repent from your turkey dinner. She ate too much. Gosh, i got to get straight with Jesus after that meal. Whoa. Are you here because your mom told you to? I actually kind of am. At least that's how it started. How many of you here because mom said we're going to church today? Thank you, Dusty, for being honest with me. Somebody drug you. Maybe you're, you're in town visiting your family and your crazy family drug you to church today. There are other reasons, there are lots of reasons why people choose to get up and come to church in the morning and to visit with the saints and to hear the word and to worship together. Maybe you're feeling a little bit desperate. Maybe you're feeling a lack of hope. Maybe you're hurting. And you think maybe if you come to this meeting on Sunday morning, something will happen in worship or something will come out in the word and it will help me, it will change my life, it will bring me some encouragement. That's a good reason. Maybe you came to see a friend. Sometimes Sunday is the only chance we have to connect with some of our friends. We might just see them here on a Sunday morning. Maybe you love the corporate worship. Some people love to just come together and worship and sense the presence of God with us and moving amongst us and just, there's so much refreshing that can come with worship. I think worship should be an exuberant and active journey that we go through with God because we're coming into his presence we're coming before him and we're honoring him for who he is and we're giving him praise that's due to him and he's worthy and how many of you understand that in the presence of God change happens God transforms us he encourages us he moves us along it's why it's so important and valuable that we come together we don't sing just because it's fun to sing or because you guys are all great singers because actually we're not all great singers And it's not a performance for ourselves to enjoy. It's something that we come together to bring our hearts as a body, as a family of believers before God and say, God, you are worthy of our praise. Maybe that's why you came today, because you love the corporate worship and you love the sense of the presence of God. 
Maybe you came today, maybe you didn't really word it this way, but you want life abundantly. How many of you want life abundantly? And if you don't, we'll talk afterwards. What is it? Abundance. It's overflow. It's a lot. It's fulfilling. You know, oftentimes we have a tendency to think about God and we think about Jesus and we go, why did you come here? And there are quite a number of reasons and quite a few consequences of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But this is one of my favorites right here. Jesus said, I came that you would have a full life, an abundant life. And I wonder, if you take inventory today, do you feel abundant in life? Are you feeling desperate? Are you feeling dry? Maybe you need a spiritual turkey dinner. Wow, Jared, that was cheesy. Something to fill your soul and to set things right in your life. I think sometimes we misunderstand why Jesus came. We think of things like, well, he just came to judge the world, right? How often, if you're a regular here, I say this all the time, John 3.16 has a very important part of it where it says, for God so loved the world. What was his motivation? He loves you. He loves you. And maybe some of you I'm preaching to the choir, but I want to remind you of that today because there are other people in your life that maybe need to know that. Maybe need to hear that. Maybe you don't need to hear that today because you fully understand that. But I want to remind all of us of that because there are people in the world around us who want and need life abundantly. And guess who gets to bring the message? You could drag them to church to listen to me, but guess who they're probably listening to long before they listen to a preacher? They're listening to you. They're watching you. And they're watching your life. And so for some of us, maybe this, this is kind of old news. Yeah, Jesus loves us, and I have abundant life. I have a great relationship with God, and I'm moving along. Great, let's start turning outside of ourselves then and start reflecting that. Do you know why you were made? We talk about this frequently. Why were you made? In the beginning, when God made the heavens and the earth, and he made mankind, and what did he make us in? His image. In this creation that God made, you and I are reflecting him into the world. It's why you're here. Sometimes we wonder, why do I exist? I have no purpose. God made you with purpose and he made you with destiny. And it's so important that you and I recognize that not only does God want life abundantly for us, but he also does for others around us. I've talked about this illustration quite a number of times, and I hope to, I have two parts of the message I want to get through today, uh, kind of two phases of it. And the first, first part is kind of big picture. I want to establish some big picture thoughts, but then I want to narrow in on uh, some specifics about it. And what, the first thing I want to talk about is how the framework by which we think about Christianity. Why is Christianity here? Why am I a Christian? Why, why do I believe the things that I believe? And the framework that we think about that shapes our decisions. And I'm going to explain what I mean here in a second. I talk about this a lot. You know what this is? This is JR's passport. Oh, man, there's some good memories in here. Africa, Dubai, Mexico. That was vacation. What's a passport for? Let you in. When I get to Mexico and Johnny and I went on vacation, we had to stand there at customs and they had to look at this and they had to authorize us to enter their country. And they give you a stamp that says you're authorized to get in. 
And when we start thinking about the kingdom of God and we start talking about it and thinking about our lives and thinking about our relationship with God, we tend to oversimplify it, I think, sometimes where we think that Christianity is just about passports to heaven. Don't get me wrong, that's a big part of it. But the problem is if all we think about when we think of Jesus and we think of the cross is, boy, if I could just get into heaven, I'll be good. When I was a little kid, I thought that way. I've shared some of my story with you in recent weeks. I told you that I kind of wasn't sure I wanted to go to heaven. Now, why would a kid think that? Because of the framework in which they see it all. And in my mind, at times, I thought, well, I'm going to get there. I'm probably going to have wings. I'm going to have a harp. And it's going to be like an eternal church service. I don't think I want to go. I mean, I like church, but... Why did did I think that way? Because I didn't understand the whole picture. And I was thinking about what what happened. I I was 19, 20 years, I was 20 years old. What, I'm trying to remember what exactly happened that I got excited about Jesus and I got fired up for the kingdom of God and I started walking out a new journey and a new path and I actually wanted to tell other people about it and I wanted to get involved in ministry and I wanted to learn all that I could learn. How did that happen? Because all I can say now looking back is the moment came when I realized there was so much more than just escaping this life barely. Jesus came that I would have an abundant life now. See, the danger about thinking about the gospel is just kind of stamping a passport to heaven is that begins to shape a lot of our behaviors. And sometimes wrong frameworks of thinking create wrong behaviors. Like if we start thinking like, if I can just get you to pray the sinner's prayer, then we're good. Right? So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to convince you and I'm going to try and talk you in it. Just say the words with me so you can go to heaven because that's what this is all about. But I want to draw your attention to, it's actually about a lot more than that. Way more than that. That's actually not very compelling. It's why you hear people say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be wild and crazy now and when I get old, I'll get right with Jesus so that right when I die, I'll just barely get in. David said this, he said, I'd, I'd rather be a doorman in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I, at times in my life, I've thought, yeah, if I could just get in, hey, I'll be the bellboy, whatever I got. I'll be the garbage guy, I don't care. I just barely want to get in. And that's what Christianity is about. I'll just pray the prayer. I'll go, to, I'll go to church on Christmas and Easter just to kind of check that little box and make sure I'm doing the things so that when I appear before Jesus, he's like, eh, you... He opens my book of my life and he kind of looks, oh yeah, you went to church a couple times, you prayed the sinner's prayer, okay, you're in. We got to think bigger than that. Because when we start to think bigger than that, we start to behave differently than that. We start to see life differently than that. We start to see ourselves differently. And all of a sudden, this transformational power that God has given us today starts to leak out. And all of a sudden, the world starts changing. When, When I first came to Christ for real, I mean, I got saved like 200 times as a kid, right? I've told you this story before. I, I wanted to make sure that I was sure that I was sure that I was going to heaven, right? By the way, if, if, if you know me and you hear me, I, I, we, don't, we don't just stay in heaven, do we? There's a new creation coming, isn't there? Man will fulfill the purpose with which God created him. And he didn't create him just to be a little fairy being with wings and playing a harp. Which, by the way, is not biblical at all. I'm joking. Just don't want you to walk out here with the wrong idea. 
You were made for a purpose, and that purpose has been temporarily delayed, but God will fulfill his plans. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, that that abundant life that God designed here and in the hereafter will be something that you will enjoy and get to be. And then you'll go, ah, this was why I was made. This is why I'm alive. God made me for this special purpose. I want to shake, maybe some of you are just kind of in that mode of thinking, I just got to hang on. I just got to get by. I just got to not be dumb enough that when Jesus comes back, I'm good. But I want to shake you out of that thinking and go, no, Jesus came that you would have abundant life now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Hey, if, there's a, is there, if you don't memorize Bible verses and you're thinking maybe I should start, maybe that'll be my New Year's resolution, here's a great one. A great one for you to start with. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new will come. Oh, wait, did I screw up that? You're, you're paying attention, right? I mean, you guys are my accountability that I'm not messing up the scripture here for you. What does that say? Has. You mean now? You mean my salvation is now? My new life is now. That abundant life is now. If you are in Christ, the old has... How many of you, if you go back to high school, would change at least a little bit of what you did? I don't want to get into a complicated conversation about the space-time continuum and how to screw everything up, okay? Let's just, let's just be kind of realistic. There's a few things I would do differently. I remember my dad kind of talking and teasing me a little bit. And I'm, teasing, I'm going to tease you high schoolers a little bit, so don't be offended at me today. Actually, if I could just say something to you as a high schooler, can I just tell you, there's a lot more. There's a lot more coming. And I remember my dad teasing me a little bit. He's like, yeah, I mean, I, I, and he was empathizing with where I was. He's like, you just, you feel like when you get to 20, you're pretty much going to be old. And as long as you have a family and a job, you'll be good, right? How many of you over 20 can say that's actually not true? See, when, when we're going through those adolescent years and we're not yet adults, but we're learning to be adults, we don't have the whole picture quite yet. I'm not saying that to be offensive or anything like that for you guys. But, but we just don't. And then when you get, then you get to my age, you get in your mid-40s, and I suppose this is true if, if the process is true. Then when I'm in my mid-60s, I'll be like, what was I thinking in my 40s? And, what I, you know, that kind of thing. Right? Oh, I see some nodding out here. Yeah, I need some of that wisdom. Come on. Can, can I just tell you, I kind of think life is a little bit like high school. Well, that sounds kind of dumb. <laughs> now that I said that out loud. But it's kind of like that because we're just trying to get through. If I could just get to graduation. I mean, I, you know, maybe your diploma was like mine. They just gave it to you because they didn't want you to come back. But we think of life that way. Man, I've got four long years I got to get through. I got 75, 85, 95 long years I got to get through. And I just got to barely make it. And that'll be it. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's like high school. It's going to be over before you know it. And there's a whole rest of your life coming. And you're going to look back at it and go, huh, I think I would have done things a little bit differently if I had that wisdom. Can we just... 
can, can, if you're 20, can you kind of just reach out to 40 and go, can I have a little of that wisdom? And if you're, and if you're in your 40s, can, you just, can I just reach out into my 60s and go, can I get a little bit of that wisdom now? That's what your life is like now. Try and see the bigger picture of what your life is. It's short. It isn't going to be long. In fact, uh, one, of the, one of the translations of the Bible says, they will remember the former things no more. I barely remember high school now. Did you know that in eternity, that will probably be something like that for you in this life? And you'll look back and go, you know, I kind of wish I'd have done things a little bit differently. I want to challenge you to embrace the concept of living that abundant life today. Not living for the idea that someday you're going to be able to open your passport finally and go, I'm in. That's a big part of it. I don't want to make too much fun of it. But it does, if, if that's all we think about, Jesus did it just so I could get to heaven, you're missing 90% of the picture. Let's, what does the word say? Jesus did talk about heaven and he did talk about hell and he talked about wanting to be at one and not wanting to be at the other. But he said a lot of other things too, like this, that you would have life abundantly. You ever, I, I think it's, this is interesting. From that, from that time, Jesus began to preach when he started his ministry saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said this, but if, if, if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom has, has come upon you. Present tense, now is happening. And we te- again, we tend to think of the kingdom of God as this futuristic place in which we end up. I'm telling you, the kingdom is here now. You are forerunners in that kingdom. You're the first citizens of what God is doing on the earth. excuse me, let's talk about this for just a second. When you think of a kingdom, what do you think of? And I know that we kind of tend to think of heaven. We kind of tend to think of this ethereal place where we don't really know what's going on and we don't know a lot about yet, um, and we'll get there. No, Jesus came to establish his authority now, today. It's what part of our mission statement, building community, living the mission. God is building his community now. There's a mission for God's people now to be lived out. It's so much more than just having to go to church. I I mean, I love that you're here. But if you're coming to church just because your mom drags you, I would love to just challenge you and, and shake your thinking and help you see what I finally saw in my late teens and early 20s. Oh, wow. God made his church to be a force on the earth. God's pulling this group of people together because he's taking the kingdom of heaven by force, it says. The kingdom suffers violence. Sometimes people justify that for physical violence. It's about God taking over in a spiritual way. He's returning to his creation and he's going to establish his rule. What comes with being a part of a kingdom? A king? Okay, God's kingdom has come, not God's democracy, not, not God's constitutional republic. It's a monarchy, man. He is the boss. But you know what? He's included all of us in his ruling. He's chosen to make us stewards with him. Paul says, did you know that you will judge the angels? Wow, there's, there's a lot more going on 
than maybe what we think sometimes. And when we begin to realize that truth, and we begin to read about it in the Word, we begin to pray about it, we begin to ask God about it, that changes the way we live. And that abundant life becomes reality today, not just waiting till I kick the bucket. Let's live it today. What else comes with the kingdom? I mean, you've got You've got authority, orders of authority. You've got governance. You've got all kinds of guidelines. What else do you have? You have an economy. You have all kinds of cultural things that come with a kingdom. This is what God's bringing into the world. A new culture. A new community. A new kingdom. A new way of governing. A new way of life. A forgiven and free way of life. Not chained to the old. This is good news This is why the gospel is called the gospel. And I might be preaching to the choir today, but I hope that it motivates you to then turn and reflect that image of God into the world around you in whatever little ways God calls you to. We are called to so much more. One thing when we talk about church, I think I joked about it. Here's the church, here's the people open it up, no, no, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up, see all the people, remember, come on, you, don't make me do it, here's the church, here's the, okay, I can't do it, I'm backwards, huh, show me, oh, whoa, there are some people, I got you now, all right, you guys are distracting me now, I got to keep on track. The church is not a building. It's not a nonprofit organization. The church is the people. Jesus said, I will build my church, my congregation, my group of people, my missionaries, my ambassadors, my warriors. I'm going to build my people, and the gates of hell, Hades, death will not prevail against it. We are a people of action. You don't go to church, you be the church. We don't go to church, we be the church. Every day, we're God's people on a mission. On a mission that has its own culture, its own ideas and concepts, and the Bible is full of those concepts. And that's what I want to narrow in on a little bit here in just a moment is some of the specifics about this bigger picture kingdom. You see, if we're just looking at it like, I mean, we think about it like Star Wars and like, here's the light side of the force and here's the dark side of the force and they just do this. How many of you hate Star Wars? Okay, I I apologize. And there are way more than I expected. My heart hurts a little bit. But we think about about it like this. These two equal and opposite powers and we're just trying to convince, go this way or go this way. Can I tell you, I, I just wish I could, I keep asking God, like, give me more vocabulary and better better pictures and imagery of this. But you guys, God is like this big. And sin is this big. They're not equal and opposites. They're opposite, but they're not equal. Not even close. The only reason sin exists is it takes what is good and true and right, which is all God. God is all those things. And the only reason sin can can exist is when God's creation takes God's character and nature and twists it into something it's not. 
That's what sin is. It's not a list of rules and right and wrong and you just check boxes. It, has, it all comes back to the character and nature of God. If it's outside of God's character and nature, then it's sin. It's why you can do the same thing two different ways. It can be sin or not sin in some cases. Did I confuse you there? It's like I can, I can, I can tithe. I can give a tenth of my income away. And if my heart's wrong, who cares? If I'm not doing it to honor God, is it good? No. It doesn't matter. Now, there are some real black and white things for sure. And I don't want to get into that conversation right now. But what I want to draw your attention to is, is it's not just about checking boxes. It's not about just going to church. It's not about just right and wrong and getting it right so that you're better before God. It's about coming into alignment with the source of life. It's about coming into alignment with the one who transforms you, gives you abundant life today. When we take that and we twist it and we try to get our own life in other ways, whether it's through uh, drug, sex, or rock and roll and all that stuff, trying to fulfill something, it's only temporary. It's never as fulfilling as stepping into alignment, because sin is misalignment, being in alignment with the one that created us, so we could become what we were made to become. Be who we were called to be. Before you were born, he knew you in your mother's womb. You are not going to find a more satisfying life than to be in alignment with the one who made you. That is the way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. If you spend your whole life just trying not to sin, you're going to be one miserable person. But if you begin a journey of a relationship with God and bringing your, yourself into alignment with his principles and his ways, you, it's like turning on the spout, man, of God. Like you got a little crank on your head, like turn that on and fill me up, Lord. Fill me up with that abundant life that you have for me. Okay, again, I, I want to say, Jared, I know all this. I appreciate the reminder. Great, let's take the world with that message. We are called to be on a mission. I don't see why we shouldn't be planting churches in western Montana. I hey, how about this? How about every community within 100 miles of Helena, we've got a small group, a Bible study, or a church plant? Why not? We've got some really good news, don't we? We've got, we got power and transformational life that we can introduce people to. Why not? You want to go? You're a little reluctant. You want to go? Come on. Bob wants to go. Let's get it done. Let's do it. But see, we're so distracted with so many other things. Trying to fulfill and have a fulfilling, I want to have an abundant life, which means I'm going to watch football all day on Sundays, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and my kids are going to be involved in every sport ever invented, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that will be fulfilling life. I'm sorry, it won't. It won't. The culture does not have the answer for you. God does. Okay, I want to shift gears here. Let's push the clutch, throw it to another gear. How many of you don't know what a clutch is? How many of you are under 40? Sorry. My, my humor is a little warped. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I want to read through this briefly. I might go over two or three minutes or ten here, so... Revelation chapter 21, I want to remind you of this because, again, it's not just, not just the passport into heaven. Yes, that's super important and crucial. I want to go to heaven. I want to go into eternity with God. I want to go into that new creation. But let's just reread this. We read this a lot. 
but it's got to get into our hearts. And I, this is Revelation chapter 21. It's as, as all things are culminating there towards the end. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. We're already in the inklings of that because the Holy Spirit is with us. God will b- dwell with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Did you have one of those kind of weeks where you're like, oh, no more crying, no more death, no more pain. Imagine what, it, I know, I don't, I wanna get, don't wanna get too morbid here, but sometimes don't you have those days where you're like, God, just take me home. I just want to wake up on the other side with that. Oh, it's over. Whew. I'm here. I'm arrived. That's a, that's a little bit more, but I, I think you can take it. You're all mature here. You know what it says? The old has gone. That's today, not down the road. You can just sit in your chair right now and go, oh, it's over. I don't have to live with that anymore. I don't have to live like that anymore. I can leave that old me behind. I can embrace that new creation that God has called me to be today. And all as a foreshadowing of this. The former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's done on the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. There's sobering words there and difficult realities that we have to wrestle with. But as children of God, you have a wonderful heritage coming, inheritance coming, and you have one today, an abundant life today, a new life today. Okay, now I'm shifting gears for real. When I, when I read through the Bible, one of the things about this abundant life that just stands out to me and I think is so important and valuable for us to grasp. I mean, keep in mind this idea of I just have to attend church because it's the right thing to do. Or I just got to check that box twice a year so my mom doesn't chew me out. Or begin to see the bigger picture of what the church is, why we're a part of it. It's a very important reality. I've been focusing really thinking on this passage out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this week and just been a number of nuggets in it for me and, and thinking about uh, the community of God, this mission that we're on, this new life we have today that God has called you and I to live together. We're not called to go to church. We're called to be the church. We're called to be together. We do life together. When I read through the New Testament and I see all of the instructions to the church, there are tons of sentences, passages, verses instructing the church on how to be the church, how to do life together. And this passage here that we're going to cover uh, towards the end of my message here is, is something that I just, I think we can get a lot out of it. We can be that community now. We won't just be that community in the hereafter, we are today. And that changes the way we behave and the way that we think. 
For God has not destined us for wrath. Amen? Come on. That is good news. Wait a minute, what? Because I'm tempted on a regular basis, as you are, that sometimes I think I'm just destined for wrath. I'm so messed up. I'm not destined for wrath. He has not made me for wrath. God so loved the world. I'm new creation. God has not destined me for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, he's talking about having, being passed away or, or the return of Christ. Therefore, encourage one another. Oops. Build one another up, just as you are doing. Who are you encouraging? Who's encouraging you? Whose life are you in? Are we being the church together? Are we being that community in each other's lives, speaking those encouraging words to one another? Or are we just attending a meeting? And hoping that little shot in the arm I get from JR on Sunday is enough to get me through. It's not enough. Not even close. We're called to do life together because we need each other. We need that encouragement. We need that that. Those challenges, we, got, we need all these things that we're going to talk about. We ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Okay, we talked about it. The kingdom has authority. It has order. It has, is there anybody over you in the Lord? Nobody's over me. I'm from Montana. I'm my own thing. I'm my own boss. Nobody tells me what to do. But actually, God put order. There are people you should be listening to. People that have more authority and more experience than you. There's order in the kingdom. See, when we treat church like a Walmart and I go shop there and get what I want and I go home, you've missed the point. And then when I get tired of Walmart, I go to Target. And now that I'm tired of Target and Helen, I have nowhere to go. But the church world operates the same way. I don't like that preacher. He's wore those same shoes for 15 years, which actually he has. That's true. That's such a short-sighted view of the kingdom, of Christianity as a whole. We are called to be the church together every day. Are we encouraging each other? And, and we have this, God has put this order in this structure. Paul's instructing Titus and Timothy both. Hey, appoint elders, put this structure in place. Things like that. Esteem them very highly. I put this in here on purpose. Be at peace with yourselves. Be at peace with yourselves. As a community, as that vibrant, life-giving community, we're called to be at peace. Is that the culture we're establishing? And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. This is almost what I called my message today. God kind of took me a different direction. But this passage I've been focusing on all week this week for myself. And we urge you, brothers, Admonish the idol. That word idol, it can be unruly or uh, undisciplined. Things out of order. Admonish them. What does it mean to admonish? It's instructing. It's encouraging. It can be even disciplinary word. You know, all of us have been idle. All of us have been a little unruly. Speaking of high school. Right? We've had times where we're out of line and then someone in our life, someone of authority, someone we respect, they kind of try and help us and straighten us out. That's what we're called to do together. That's not comfortable. We have to be friends to do that. Because if I just show up at your door and I don't know you and I start giving, reading you the riot act, how you ought to straighten out your life, but when we're doing life together, I can say, hey man, 
I don't like how you handle that situation. I think you could have handled it differently. I don't like, you're not talking to your wife very nicely. Any wives need me to talk to their husbands? I'll, I'll say that. Encourage the faint-hearted. Oh, what is faint-hearted? Cowardly. People who are afraid. You know, we slip into that sometimes, don't we? But, but who brings it, who helps us in that journey of not being afraid? The people around us. The people we're doing life with. Being the church together. What would I do without my fellow elders and other friends in this congregation that haven't been a major part of my journey? We don't get there ourselves. We don't get there on our own. We're not called to be independent. We're called to be codependent on one another, having relationships. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we're the weak one, and sometimes we're doing the helping. Sometimes we're the fearful one, and sometimes we're the one encouraging. Sometimes we're the one unruly and idle, and then other times we're the one admonishing. And these beautiful words at the end. And be patient with them all. Wait a minute, God's patient? God wants us to be patient? I thought we were supposed to be strict and angry and judgmental, really. I'm going to straighten you out right now, boy. Well, there's a time and a place for different things. But what does the scripture encourage us? In being that community together, in, being, uh, in helping one another, be patient with them all. Some of you, I stretch your patience, and you stretch mine. But we're called to be patient with each other as we journey. Some people are less mature than others. Maybe you've never even surrendered your life to Jesus and you're in here today. Hey, we're not, we're not here to kick you out or make you feel bad. We want to be patient with your journey. We want to help you. We want to help you. How many of you have needed somebody to be patient with you? My parents are here today. I'm thankful you were so patient with me. Most of the time. <laughs> Yeah, we don't always do that well, but that's what the scripture instructs us to do. Be patient with each other because we're weak and we screw up. I, I, I could go on. That, the rest of that passage in Thessalonians 5, all kinds of instruction to us. Don't repay evil for evil. Do good to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Would you stand, please? How, Lord, do we respond? Let's pray. Lord, <laughs> what, what can we say? You're so gracious and patient and loving. It's amazing. And what can we be but thankful? But God, I pray for those that struggle with that, thinking, I don't think God really could love me. I don't think God really could be patient with me. I don't see God as patient. I don't see God as the loving father that he is. I certainly don't see the mission of the church being all that exciting. Whatever your thought is that you struggle with God, and maybe, maybe there's something I said today that just is grating on you because you have such a hard time with it, 
Give that up to God right now. Just say, God, I surrender that to you. You are faithful. You are good. You're patient. God, we are thankful today. I pray that you're, the, the, these scriptures would be stirring in power in people's hearts. And God, I also pray for the mission of the church. God, that we are called to an abundant, fruitful, everyday, kingdom-minded mission all the time, everywhere we go. Not to work ourselves to death, but to reflect you, your way, and alignment with you into every circumstance in which we find ourselves. So God, I pray you'd be encouraging your children today. God, and if anybody really needs to surrender their life to you today, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. Talk to someone they know. Just share their thoughts with someone they know that they can surrender to you and let the old pass away today. Not when I die, today. I want the old to go away today. If that rings true in your mind or heart, I would like you to come visit with me or our prayer team after the service. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. We we want to be authentic around here. We want to keep it real. We're not into fake. We want to really surrender our lives to Jesus and live the full life he made for us. Lord, we, we do. We need you. We want to live in that fullness and abundance. I thank you for this time together today, and I pray you would bless each family as they go with a wonderful rest of their day, resting in your peace and your comfort and in the truth that we've learned from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys, thanks for coming today. That's the end of our service. Please, if you need to receive prayer, come visit with our prayer team. Or if you want to respond to what I said, please come talk to me. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week. Sign up for Vision Values. We'll see you next week.